and welcome to In Discovery We Trust, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. On today's special episode, we will be continuing our film commentaries with an eye toward making connections to Star Trek Discovery. Today we are watching Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. My name is Ethan, and I am joined by... Kevin. <clears throat> and for the two of us... This is, uh, I believe, our favorite Star Trek film, each of us. This has always been my favorite. Um, I can't remember, but I, I'm, I I, think it may have even been the first one I ever saw. Mm. Yeah. Um, I did have the, and I still have some of those at my parents' house, but I, I did have the uh, VHS. I had all the VHS movies uh, of the Trek films, and I had this one. So, And I remember it specifically because... At the very beginning of it, there was a but a minute-long trailer for the then-upcoming Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I, so I, but I had like a, I think the videotape I ended up getting, it had been out for like several years, so by the time, I think by the time I had it, Next Gen was already on the air, but like... Right, whereas know, in reality, it was this film's success that led the studio to be willing to make... Yeah, and going down the timeline, I mean... I think when movies came out onto VHS back then, it took a little bit longer than it did today. Like, you didn't see it on video for, like, maybe right. six to eight months or something like that. Although, this was the first film to make that turnaround a lot quicker. Yeah. Well, this movie opened in November of 86, around Thanksgiving time, and I'm going to assume, I don't, I'd don't, have to look it up, I'm going to assume that it, it hit VHS shelves probably, like, around April of 87, maybe even May or something like that. Mm. And that may have been, I, I mean, I don't know, that may have been the first time we ever saw people ever saw the next generation mm, right yeah this is my favorite i've said it before growing up my my family had an hbo and hbo showed all, all the star trek films they must have been some kind of deal and this was not my first but it was definitely the one that resonated the most with me. what i like about this one is that it's um it's the concluding part of this sort of spock trilogy or genesis trilogy as i've heard it called from time to time yes beginning with two and continuing with three and then concluding with this yeah and what I like about this one is that two and three are such heavy movies. So much happens, so much drama, they're so operatic. And in this one, they just finally decide to let that all go and they just sort of have uh, a really good time. It's a fun movie. Yeah, it's a great know? way to And I wouldn't it. say the other ones are fun, really. They're just they're heavy, plot-driven movies. Yeah, a little more intense. Yeah, a little more, more serious. Yeah. Yes. All right, well, without further um, chit-chat, let's get to it. We should do a countdown with the Paramount logo. We should absolutely like do a countdown time. with the Paramount logo. So we're okay. going to get the Paramount logo up. If you were here for our last, um, <clears throat> you will remember this process. We're going to get the Paramount logo up. After the Challenger dedication, which we will talk about momentarily. Mm-hmm. There's All the right. Paramount we logo. We got the mountain. Pause it, right? Yes. Do a countdown. Pause it. Oh, this is different. Okay, so we got the Paramount logo. The stars just appeared. All the stars. The word Paramount has not appeared yet. All right, no Paramount. So pause it there. Get up to this point. We are watching it on the. This is the Blu-ray version. This digital. My Apple digital Apple TV version. Okay, so the Apple TV version digital. is probably the same as the Blu-ray or whatnot. Um, this is no. By the way, this is no like director's cut or anything like that. Okay, I messed so up you, last time. There's only yes, one cut of this movie. Very good. All right, so here we go. And three, two, one. Press play, play with the stars around. And there goes Paramount. A golf, golf and western plus company. western company. Golf and western company. I, I never... What is that? All right. Production company. All right. Here comes the font. All right. So, Challenger. 
So I was old enough. I am old enough to have to remember when that happened. Mm-hmm. I was born in '77, and uh, I was in elementary school. And what happened was, when it happened, did you watch it? Well, when we were at school. Yeah. It happens during the day, during the school day, and we're told to go to the loudspeaker and say, all right, I'm still teacher, bring your students to the, um, it was like the gym, because we didn't have an auditorium, we had a gym. Mm. So we bring our chairs, we had to carry our chairs down, so we all carry our chairs down, we line them up, and we sit there, and they wheel out this TV, and they're showing us this, the explosion. And it's going to be a small TV that you can barely see anything. Right? I mean, yeah, for the time, yeah. it was kind of big, but... Right. Yeah, I mean, we were a small school, but yeah, so they, they made us go down there and watch it. Yeah. And uh, we watched it and they explained what was happening. That was about January of 80, 1986, I believe. Sounds about right. Yeah. So I would have been a, a, I can real, reveal my age, I would have been a year old. Okay. Or no, excuse me, not a year old, a month old. Okay. Yeah, because I was born the month before. I'm, yeah. I was born the month before that. Um, so I have no memory of it. Although my mom tells me the story that I was that she was home and she saw it all happen. But, um, now, I'm in the extreme, extreme, extreme minority on this. And when I say that, it's, I mean probably just me. I'm like the only person that I know of that actually loves the soundtrack to this movie. And whenever I like participate in a conversation online, like whether it's on a message board or a chat or something like that, we talk about the best Star Trek stories. You know, the motion picture obviously gets the, all the accolades and right. So everyone always puts this one sort of at the bottom. Okay. The composer for this movie is Leonard Rosenman. And I guess he composed the music to the animated version of Lord of the Rings. Okay. I know that. Which I have never seen before. But, and the reason why people, uh, don't like the score is that apparently he lifts a lot from that score and they sort of like, and he does, but I'm just like, so right. I thought a problem. Have you heard Raiders and Empire Strikes Back? I mean, it's like one note off Superman. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. I mean, I heard, doesn't mean it's bad. I've I've always, but I've always liked the score of this movie. I mean, it's, it's the most different out of all of them, but I've always loved the score of this movie. It's my favorite soundtrack in all of them. Interesting. I've never thought too much about the soundtrack to be honest. Here we have the probe. Nimoy's second directorial debut. Which doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Nimoy's second directorial <laughs> debut. Yeah. Can't debut twice, Kevin. Alright, so this scene, now you mentioned the Discovery thing. And I teased about this on our podcast multiple times, and now I can finally wait. People think that, somebody once said that could be, could that be Michael Burnham? Because this captain is unnamed. And I'm like, what's making you think that? <laughs> well, <laughs> so, hey, you know what? It's, it's fun be to cool. Think it's fun to think. By the way, that's the that other alien, yes. same as the Federation president from Six. But that's not the actual president. No, but that's the same. Oh, alien. Yes. Um That's uh, quite a race. I mean, I mean, look, it looks almost like I, it's, it looks like a certain caricature of an Asian right. type of character that has shown up a lot. Through. I mean, look, could it be Michael Burnham? So. Maybe. It's fun to think about, but I mean, love this shot. It's been reused several times, actually. Love it. Um, I don't think it looks anything like Michael Burnham, but. It's fun to think about. Yeah. Um, I've always wondered, mannerisms. I've always, I've always wondered how the Klingons got this footage. Because this is direct footage from Search for Spock. Classic um, move of films to just have footage from the film and you wonder, yeah. like, why is there surveillance footage but, nicely edited and, and has great cinematography? What I like about this, though, is, you know, the we've discussed it many times, that the Klingons were always the stand-in for the Soviet Union. 
And I love that they take this and try to use it as, like, propaganda against Kirk. Like, Kirk has killed... Kirk's declared war on us, or, you know, they, they're trying to use it against him, more or less. Mm-hmm. When, no, that's not actually the case. But I love the idea of them sort of, like, taking something that actually happened and trying to, like, re- rewrite it. Right, spinning it. In their benefit. Mm-hmm. Well, similar to what happens in, in Six, where uh, clearly Bones was trying to save the uh, Klingon general, but right. yet they spin that whole thing, like they boarded us, they weren't supposed to, and really they were there to try to help and save them. So. But even this, like, he has the footage of the Genesis device. And, like, yeah. as Federation president, I'd want to say, well, where'd you get that from? Yeah, you get a Why do you have that? And when did Kirk record this, by the way? Yeah, he's, 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 I've always wondered that. He's doing the message that Carol Marcus delivered in Star Trek 2, and I'm like, when did Kirk stop to record that message? All about the Genesis device. He's doing exactly what, yeah. you know. Yeah. I love this, because Sarah comes out and basically calls the Klingon ambassador on all of his bullshit. Mm. That was Sarah. Probably just came back from visiting with uh, Michael Burnham. <laughs> or he's probably thinking here, I can't... I should have genocided your planet when I had the chance. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line, though, when the Klingon ambassador says, we have the right to defend our race, preserve our race. And Sarek says, you, what, you, have the right, you have the right to commit murder? Because that's what they're doing. Mm. This is a Federation president who goes unnamed. I think he's named in some of the books. I don't know what it is, but... It's an interesting... Uh... Now, he says that Kirk's been charged with nine violations. That's it? But by the time they get to the end of the movie and they begin listing out those violations, it's, it's like something like five. It's not even nine. <laughs> now, this Klingon ambassador was in six, if you recall. Was he? Mm-hmm. I always like this character, too. There is Mount Saleo from Star Trek Three, where Spock was brought back to life. Could Michael Burnham be home right now? Can't help but think about it now. <clears throat> right. Yeah. <clears throat> now, I'm going to, when it comes up, I'll go more into it, but fans complain about the lack of inconsistency with the at the end of Discovery. Again, the, the change, the slight modifications to the Enterprise. Okay. And I just keep thinking, like, why do you bitch about that when the bridge of the Enterprise changes throughout all of the movies? Right. You know, the bridge of the Klingon ship, in this case, changes from three to four. It's like, why change. is that okay? Right. Like, what? why is that Or is it okay? I don't know. Is it okay? It's just, like, guys, come on. Right. I'm, I'm really uh, interested in the cl- almost clearly French revolutionary headgear uh, mm. on these... Uh, mechanics or these, uh, these all things, technicians. Yeah. Yeah. So that looks very much like the French Revolution hats that also the Smurfs hats were based on. Right. That um, the revolutionaries wore. They remind me of like the helmets from 300. But the... Am, mm. I, am I thinking... No, I'm not, I don't even know what they're talking about. Now these mountains we've seen have been seen multiple... So this is actually where uh, Kirk fought the Gorn 
those okay. mountains. Look at those mountains sticking out like that. So that's makes sense. Yeah, it looks a bit more. But uh, I forget the name of those mountains. But I have to say, who I don't know if it's Nimoy, the cinematographer, by by doing things with the film processing, they were able to make them look very alien by making it so orange. This is Fox sort of getting his uh, sort of memory back. T Planet Half. T Planet Half was actually the name of a Federation starship at the Battle of the Binary Stars. They uh-huh. named the USST Planahef. Interesting. Yeah. So there's your discovery connection. Classic, the original Enterprise in its original form. Only time we've seen in a movie. Weird font choice on... Yep. On, uh, it's too stretched. On the Vulcans. Much too stretched. Because the design of that pisses me off. I'm sorry to say. Well, they're alien, you know? Huh? They're alien. It's such a classic Star Trek moment, too. Just like, it's a, how do you feel? You just yes. can't answer that question. Can you let me say the Jane Wyatt as Amanda. Come on, tell us about Michael. Tell us how Michael's doing, Amanda. And Spock's brother. They're kind of going... That whole family kind of goes full spectrum, right? You have Savik, or Sarek, or, um... Cybok, full Vulcan. Spock, half-human, half-Vulcan. Then you have Michael, full human. Right. That's a good point. It's a screwed-up little family they got... I always looked at Spock's robe and thinking, thinking he has a he's got a Zelda Triforce on his robe. Mm. <clears throat> For all the, the uh, franchise themed robes that are offered by places like ThinkGeek, I'm surprised that's not one. It's like a bathrobe. It's like terry cloth, I think, isn't it? Like I could see that as being a bathrobe. I would buy it. I've never I've never worn a bathrobe in my entire life. <laughs> not even joking. Oh. Something I'm, for you. Something I'm revealing on a podcast. I haven't. I never have. All right, the probe. Hmm. So the novel. There's a there's a novel about this. About the probe. Yes. Yeah. Where after this encounter, the probe heads to Romulan space, and then um, the Federation works with the Romulans to deal with it. Hmm. Wasn't that much information. I was hoping it was going to be from the probe's perspective. But it wasn't. That is obviously the Enterprise bridge set. I think this is what draws fan complaints, really. Like, in terms of design consistency. Because of the reuse of existing sets, it sort of develops a... It sort of gives Starfleet its own design, right? And so... If something deviates from that, you th- like in this case, you're like, oh, all the bridges look the same or are similar, right? Hmm. But in this case, so it, it makes, so as soon as you deviate from that, fans are like, wait, what? Hmm. That looks like the Reliant. Now, that was rough. Yeah. They come too close to the probe and just all power is knocked out. The worst possible thing that could happen to you in space. 
first time I think we have to see sort of like a Starfleet Starfleet headquarters like this. That table they're sitting at, by the way, it's known as the pool table, that winds up in engineering on the next generation. Ah. I have to imagine, like, for 1986, like, this would have had to have been a very... This specifically would have had to have been a very expensive set. Yeah. I don't know. It's not like with the Rebels plan their attack on the second Death Star last night. I'm just thinking, like, these big screens. Like, this is sort of like... You know, this is like almost like Starfleet's base of operations. This is, like, where they probably, you know... Uh, you know, can get one like the location of all the, the fleet and everything like that and where all the ships are. Like, there's got to be at least, like, three screens in that room. Three big screens. We never really find out anything about this probe. Like, who sent it, where it came from. Well, they certainly do, though. Later, so later they make this claim that the probe never meant any harm to anyone. Although, its behaviors certainly are harmful. And you would think that they would understand that what what the result of it is completely harmful. Yeah, so that is not the same bridge from the search for Spock, which is fine, but I would never noticed. I mean, what's what I like about it is actually now I always had this thought growing up, like, oh, you know, they just redesigned the bridge to get them to make it easier for them to use, and they made it, they modeled it after the Enterprise bridge. It looks the same. It's like designed the same way. <laughs> but no, like in the search for Spock, it's like the Klingon, the cat, the Klingon commander. He has like a. He's on like a throne, basically, as a Klingon captain would be. It doesn't, doesn't, no, it doesn't look like this at all. Right. But, I mean, I don't, I mean, it's not the same, but I don't give a shit. Does it deviate from the storyline? Does it change things? No. Uh-huh. Savick, who apparently is staying behind for an odd reason. Right. Do you know what that reason is? That she's staying behind? Yeah. Well, no, I don't. Actually, well, I do know that there's a cut line where she says that she's pregnant yeah, with that's, that's Spock's baby. That's now, the, that's the reason. Uh, there even the scene, I'll point out the scene where that exact line was cut from. I guess, yeah, if you're pregnant, you don't want to go on a dangerous mission. I do often wonder what Savick would have been like had Christy Alley continue because at this point she's still not on cheers yet hmm wonder what happened like i think christy ellie gone into christy ellie gone into some detail with it at a convention last summer or two summers ago for the 50th anniversary and you know it was her first convention i think she ever attended i was gonna say i didn't think she did and um she was asked like you know how come and she's like she's like i don't really know the answer but she said that, I guess, like, they had offered her less money than before. So it was basically less money, but her role had expanded. Oh. And she's like, well... Pretty reasonable. Yeah. I know, for an introduced... For the, a major recurring character in these films, she's very sidelined. Yeah. So it's right here that she would say, I'm pregnant with Spock's child. And it was cut because when they were editing, they realized there was nothing else done with it. 
Mm-hmm. And it didn't really make any sense to just drop that bomb shell and then leave it alone and never touch it again. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you noticed that there were two... You saw it on the landscape. There were like these two towers of the flame between them. Mm. You see that again on Voyager, actually, when Tuvok has a weird hallucination about Vulcan. You see that spot specifically. Mm. Yeah. Nice uh, consistency. Space dock again from uh, Search for Spock, mm-hmm. which we saw being constructed at the end of uh, the finale of Discovery. I always like those shuttlecrafts. Look at that. Remarkable. I really love the design of the probe. It almost looks stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cylinder, except it has a, a hole in the end, almost like a blowhole of a whale. Right. Uh, and it's just such an alien design. You're saying it almost like... looks like a whale? Somewhat. Yeah. yeah. Having a single hole. Um, now this, right? Very cool special effects, too. Oh, yeah. I don't see how they could not know that this would be, even though they mean no harm, this would be very disruptive for the planet and harmful. Well, I think it, you know, I don't know if this is a very good analogy. It's probably not going to make much sense, but like, if you think of like a wild animal, it's not like, I don't want to say it doesn't mean any harm. It's just doing, like if it attacks you, it's just sort of like doing what comes naturally. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. I, mean, I don't know if that's like the best analogy to use, but... It doesn't have the intent for harm, but it, its result is harmful. I was love to see between these two. You know what's really good about this movie, too, is that everybody on the in the cast, every character gets some great screen time. Yeah, I think that's what was movie. really great about Six, also. Yeah. Everybody gets their own little story arc and their own hmm. things to do. I mean, fucking, I mean, like, Chekhov in this movie even gets his own theme music for a few minutes. Hmm. Maybe Uhura gets a much better... Um, treatment in this in this hmm. <laughs> it's such classic like McCoy Spock banter. Yes. <laughs> That's great. So we talked about we were talking about six that mm. Roddenberry hated it. Yep. Because there was the it was about war and it was about betrayal and it was about not trusting. Um I think I don't know what Roddenberry's reaction was to this film, but it seems like this he would have loved this film. Because there's no enemy that yep. they're fighting. I don't believe that they kill anyone. Um, they solve a problem using their their smarts and their compassion and yep. their communication skills and diplomacy and negotiation. Nobody dies in this movie either. Nobody dies. Nobody dies. But they solve the problem, they save the earth, and right. they do it in a peaceful way. 
Yeah, there's no like brings more understanding of another. There's no blood in the movie, right? Nothing like that. Um, there's Major Barrett. I always wondered too, like mm-hmm. Major Barrett. I don't think she. So this is her last appearance, I believe, in the Star Trek movies. Not being the computer voice. Unless she's the computer voice. So, like, even though, like, she's more known at this point as Nurse Chapel, I always kind of thought her working, her, her, you seeing her here in Starfleet, at Starfleet Command, could she maybe, could that maybe instead be number one from the cage? Remember she was in the cage? Oh, yeah. no. I mean, it probably isn't, but, like, she could probably just gotten out of medicine and gone into command, but. Also fun to think about. Yeah. I mean, it's it's also one of those movies that works really well without the need for its sort of like this movie succeeds so well not being set in space and not having uh, the Enterprise. Right. And it just goes to show you sort of like how kind of like how good these how rich these characters are that you don't need a space setting or the or the Enterprise to make a good Star Trek movie. Right, it almost uses it like the original series did, where the Enterprise was just a means to an end. It was just how they got around. Right. It wasn't as important. And I think this also takes on a lot of the characteristics of an original series episode in that they're keeping it cheap. They're sending them to current day Earth where they can, you know, not have to worry about sets and things. Mm. You get to play off the current time period, which just makes it fun. But it's also much more like, and to your point of it feeling more like an original series episode, like, you know, among the many things about an original series episode that this reminds me of, is the way Spock is able to kind of figure things out so quickly. You know, in this case, the way he figures out that it's a wit, that it's, you know, searching, that it's a probe, that the probe's searching for a pair of humpback whales. Like, the way he's able to kind of figure that out so quickly. Right. They don't get bogged down with the mystery of it. Yeah. Costumes in this movie are always kind of through me too. Like, what the hell is William Shatner wearing? It's very much. I've seen that costume like for sale. Like, you can buy that. Like, if I wanted to dress up as Star Trek IV Kirk for Halloween, I could find that online. So I that online someplace. It seems like the the we should do that this year. The after hours of the regular after hours version of the yeah. regular uniform. I think I should. If, we, if I go to a Halloween party this year, should I try to find that? Uh, try to find that sure, costume? I'll I'll go as um, Spock from this. It'll be fun. <laughs> You just need a, you just need a white bathrobe when you're fine. 
But you got to tie the headband around your uh, mm-hmm. head to hide your pointiness. Is McCoy wearing like a bandana around his neck? <laughs> like some people do that. Yeah, They're like, I think, yeah. he, I think he is. Or a little cravat, perhaps. Yeah. I like his jacket. I, this is, I mean, this is going to sound odd, but one of the things about McCoy in this movie I always noticed is D. Kelly is, like, insanely thin in this movie. He's almost, like, unhealth, unhealthily thin. He's, he's always been really thin like that. I, well, he was, like, a heavy smoker, too, and I, I feel like that kind of, you know, yeah, I don't know, plays into it. So this set, those lights to the left, come from the engine room in, in uh, uh, Rapid Con. Hmm. Um, I think it's Sulu though that wears the greatest jacket in this film. If I he like wears a cape practically. Like he puts it around his, he, like puts it around his shoulders and he's over. Because I remember like he even well he even had it in three. Because I remember like after he shot the guy and he says, "Don't call me tiny." He like dashes off and his cape's like waving in the. <laughs> now. One thing to note, if anyone doesn't know, so in the 80s, there was a big move, save the whales, mm. save the whales. Um, people had just sort of come to this awareness about whales and dolphins and how they yep. were the largest and some of the most ancient creatures, yet um, they were in trouble because of whaling and shipping practices and military practices and things. So save the whales was a big movement in the 80s. Yeah. So it's definitely um, connected with the times in that way. Man, I need to trim my sideburns to look like those. You can do it pretty easily. You can do a little point. Hmm? You can do a little point. You think I could do it pretty easily? Yeah. Yeah. Now, this movie came out, again, Thanksgiving of 86. So, we're now looking at the 20th anniversary of the franchise. And the... Oh, that's Human Rand. Janice Rand. Um, And we were talking about it before we began recording. It was the sort of success of this movie that prompted them, Paramount, to move ahead with what eventually became uh, The Next Generation. Yeah, I mean the films. Um, I, I think, th- I I think the show was already sort of in development at this point because I mean you figure this is November of eighty six, this came out next gen premiered September of eighty seven. So I think it was already known that they were going to be doing another one. Right, but yeah. I think it certainly won them um, more enthusiasm and probably more money from the studio. Yeah. This was a an enormous hit film that didn't cost a lot of money to make. It was, but this was blockbuster. For a long time, actually, I think even up until the uh, the two thousand nine reboot movie, this was the most successful of all the uh, Trek movies. You know, the ones that even came after it. You know, five obviously didn't do well. Six did okay. Six kind of did more on the scale of like two and three, right? And even Generations and First Contact was really successful too. But I think um, you know, First Contact wasn't as successful as this one. Right. But it was still successful. This one was a surprise success, too. 
I mean, they had been putting the films out and they've been doing modestly well. And this one, yeah. they probably they expected oh. it would be similar to any other one, but instead, it, it really wasn't so, like they hit over the summer. Um, oh, look, they don't even have flat screen. It's curved screen, like a TV. Um, so yeah, these movies did not do well overseas, and uh, I believe three never came out overseas in theaters. I think you're right. right. I think it only came out in um, so VHS. So if you YouTube it, if you ever YouTube this, so this movie came out, this movie did come out in Europe, and it was marketed as The Voyage Home. They reversed the title. It was called The Voyage Home, and then small letters underneath, Star Trek Four. Ah. And um, when it came out, they actually did a, uh, a prologue. Prologue or epilogue? They show it at the beginning of the movie. The prologue. Prologue. Um, epilogue's the end, right? Yep. Pro means before. So they show this sort of prologue oh, like that explains in. what happened in 3, because they didn't want to assume that oh, people saw it. And um, so they explain what happened in 3. And what's cool about that, the coolest thing about that, I think, is that you're actually, the music they play in it, you're actually, because it's on the soundtrack, the expanded soundtrack, you're hearing sort of like, early takes of this uh, early versions of the music from this movie. Which I think is really cool. Oh, interesting. But that was actually Harv Bennett's idea because Harv Bennett's a TV guy and he said, you know, like in all these like primetime soaps they always kind of tell you what happened the week before. All right. Also, we should mention Harv Bennett who wrote the story with Nimoy. Yep. And, um... Well, Nimoy was basically given carte blanche to do whatever he wanted because he, you know, had succeeded in making Search for Spock which was his first Mm-hmm. Which was his? That was his actual debut, his actual not his second debut. debut. Yeah, I don't know why I said that. Um, and so he's basically given free reign to do whatever the hell he wanted. And so, uh-huh. which is a good move. Thus, produced this. I mean, that's the thing that it is forgotten about Nimoy. Nimoy is not just uh, a good actor; he's a hell of a creative person. Well, he co-wrote it with Harvey Bennett, but don't forget Nick, Nicholas Meyer, who directed two, who wrote two, yes. directed two, and then co-wrote six and directed six, and wrote the screenplay. Did but not the well, story. he he wrote the he didn't write he wrote the. I think he wrote like the present day scenes. I think his first line okay. in the script is Spock saying, "Judging by the pollution content of the atmosphere, okay. I believe we have arrived." That's like sort of like where it hands off to him. Got it. Yeah, yeah. But the whole story was put together by Nimoy right. and Bennett. Yeah. Um, Bennett also worked on two. That's where he. That's where he kind of. He kind of cut his teeth onto. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe. And this is sort of like a direct callback to the original series episode, "The Naked Time," with them doing the slingshot effect around the sun to do it to do a time warp. Did now? Did they make any reference to that? As if, oh, we'll do that old around the sun thing that we used to do. Um. I mean, earlier a few minutes ago, McCoy says to. Kirk, you know, sure you do a slingshot in the sun if you're in time warp, but if you don't, you're you're fry or something like that, you know. Mm. But I mean, they don't specifically call out that episode. But I always thought this was really a really odd sequence. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never well, really knew what the hell this was supposed to be. I guess yeah. So they're trying to just show that time travel does some weird things to people. I'm sure it's giving ILM a chance to just flex their muscles at what they're doing with computers at this point. Yeah, that is a whale, I presume. I don't know. Yeah, it is. This is a... But, like, even, like, like, I'm like, what the hell is this? 
You know, time travel is... is... The, the guy drifting into a blue flame. Like, is this what time travel is going to look like? I have no idea. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's a very odd... It looks like a music really like, video of the time period. That right, it does it's, a, a, it's a very kind of like high... Well, it's a very kind of high concept, I think, sci-fi yeah. way of... You know, it's not like... Uh... Right, but that's it. It's only that 30 seconds of the film. It's like, which does make it very strange. So... One the one misstep by Nimoy. You also have to wonder. You also have to think that, like you know, time travel. I think it was sort of the in thing at the time because you know, Back to the Future had already come out at this point. I think that you know, right? Quantum leap. And they did a. They did. I like the way way. they did their time travel. That was that was really cool. And it's sort of like you know, at the short with this one, they were like, okay, well, how are we gonna? Right. Yeah, I don't like the way they went. They could have done a Doctor Who style tunnel. But even like in all the other. Trek episodes and movies and stuff. Whenever they did a time travel thing, it, it was never like this. You know, they weren't like sort of like out of it when they came out of the time warp. Right, they were just sort of there. Although I think this is kind of like one of the few times where it was sort of done intentionally. Other times it was always by accident. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. Yeah, McMyers yeah. line. That's fun. I know in, in other... Um... It's such a jab at what the twentieth century. Well, right, yeah, killing yeah. the whales, yeah. pollution. Um, I think in one of the other series when they go back to Earth and they they use the satellites. Yeah. Judging by the the amount of satellites, we must be in mm. X year. I so. They even reference it in the movie, but, like, you know, they, they go after two humpback whales that are kept in captivity. You know, they're special whales, I guess. But I'm thinking, like, you could just go find some somewhere in the ocean. You just go grab a pair of humpback whales in the ocean, right? And just kind of... Right. Is it easier because they know where they are, I assume? I mean, they have scanners, I presume. They can just find them, right? Dilithium or the clown crystals, I assume, sort of dilithium crystals. They're called Klingon crystals. Yeah. Dead in the water. That's a foreshadowing. Yeah, so they basically have 24 hours to kind of, you know, do what they got to do in order to get the fuck out of there. Of course, you know, Spock has the solution. We mentioned that this is a fun film. Yes. It is. It's light. It keeps moving. It's engaging. There's also a lot of comedy in it. So it's fun and it's funny. Well, and I think this one kind of set a a bar for for the movies to follow it. And that Paramount wanted there to be a good blend of uh, humor and all the other, uh, you know, like Five has a ridiculous amount of humor, and it. it's it's very like it's like awkward humor, like when Scotty bangs his head on the ceiling and stuff like that. It's like what do you, you know? Right, right. Uh, Six has some good jokes too, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think like from this point on, like Paramount wanted them to be putting a fair amount of humor in the. Uh, yeah, it, it's sort of, sort of a precursor to the action films we have now, where. Right. We talk about this a lot, how there's humor is sort of forced into all these action films. Oh, totally. 
even at serious moments. Whereas I think this gets a good balance. Mm. Everybody's a commander on this, I noticed. Mm. Commanders Ahura and Chekhov. Dr. McCoy, you Mr. Spock, you Mr. Scott, and Commander Sulu. They're mm. all commanders now. is always how they <laughs> annoying look I mean you figure at this point T'Pol has always come has already come back to Carbon Creek her, her relatives and uh right you know Deep Space Nine with Will Green Man this is they always but I love like when they always send a Vulcan back to present day. This is always like the solution they have to kind of hiding their it's point. Very ways, you know? It's or, very or simple. Very simple. Yeah. A, uh, one of the other episodes, then you wear a knit hat. I think in Carbon Creek, no, Tuvok wore a uh, when they went back to '96. Like he wore like something, some kind of cap on his head. And... I think on the original series when they go back to the gangster time. Oh right, yes, that's hat. right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, which is also easy. Well, on in Enterprise in Carbon Creek, T'Pol's relative had an extremely. Effective, but she just put the hair over the, over the points. All oh, right, yeah, that's permanent. And you just draw in some. But it's like one quick head eyebrows. turn and right. one quick head, head turn, and like you know, the point comes out of your. Uh... And I think production-wise, this is actually not Golden Gate Park. I think this is actually somewhere in L.A. I don't think it's Golden Gate Park at all. I've never been to San Francisco in my life. Oh, no. Well, never have. Um, it's great, but well, it's not appropriate for the podcast. So I won't tell you. Well, no, I'm saying if I, <laughs> but if I went, I'd like try to track all these locations. Yeah. I went to where Starfleet should be. Oh, isn't it called like, it's called like Fort Baker, I think, or something, isn't it? I, I don't know. I just went to the end of the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. Looked. Did you look specifically? Did you go specifically for that? So this is where Starfleet is um, going to be. Partially that, and um, partially the Vertigo. There's a scene in Vertigo ah. where the character tries to kill herself, and that spot is actually there where she tries to kill herself. God, that is so like frightening. Who <laughs> <laughs> shit myself? Did you see that? No, neither did you. So shut up. Oh, speaking of shooting yourself, another connection between this and Discovery. At, at its time, this was the most and first use of swearing that we had seen in oh, yeah. Star Trek anything. Spock Trek. A lot of hell and damn. Mm-hmm. Yep, this was Cape. <laughs> this is Market Street in San Francisco. Winchell's Donut House. <laughs> Double door. You can see, like, all the people, like, the pedestrians, like, watching the filming, you know? Like, look at the guy in the middle of the streetway up there. Like, what is he doing? Double dumbass. This must have been such a horrible... All I can think of, like... Because this is, like, a, this is like a major intersection, right? All right. And can you imagine them, like, shutting it down to film? Oh, yeah, well... Like, when they're, like, walking through the streets, like, look behind them. Like, you can just see people, like, across the street just watching 
this take watching all of this take place. Oh, there'd be good extras there. Trying to be regular people. I mean, on on the side that they're on, yeah, but like across the street. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like look, yeah. See, like look behind them across the street. You can just see people staring directly at the filming. Yeah, there's his cape. It is funny that in the '80s they don't look that out of place. Right. I have to wonder though, like with them shooting this in San Francisco like that. I mean, they had to have been rec- had to have been recognizable. Oh, the crew. Yeah, like people had to have been like, oh my god, there's you know they're shooting the Star- a Star Trek movie over there. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But, you know, like we saw in Boston, they've been filming films a lot. And, you know, they, they keep the area pretty locked down. <laughs> I love this because, like, he sells the glasses and he says, one of those are those from Dr. McCoy. He goes, and they will be again. That's the beauty of it. Now, keep an eye on the windows here to the right. You can actually see people watching. I think you actually see some production crews. There's a production crew in there, too. Hmm. Like even do you see people behind them watching? Hmm. Now, one thing that strikes me as this being pretty interesting is any time that we've seen the Star Trek um, crew yeah. go to Earth, it's been on one of the back lots. Hmm. So this is the first time we actually get to see them in an actual location, which is it's kind of strange to see them walking down a yeah. city street. Yeah, they've always been like on a back lot. Right. But now it looks very... Yeah, now they're actually on location. No? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, a guy walked past him. He had to have been an extra, but like, he almost looked at them like, wait, is that... Wait, is that Shad or Nimoy? What? what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the comedy timing and whatnot is great. That's great. Have them walk into the bus in the same shot and then yeah. nothing and then walk out. Very well done. So this doesn't get the cape thing going on. Yeah. I don't really understand. I just, he's doing. But yeah, wow, look how thin. Oh, well. Detail. Oh, he's, yeah. he's, he's. Although Nemo's pretty. I mean, uh, he, he's all skin and bones. Uh, <laughs> Sulu's uh, pretty thin, too, he's, actually. He's all skin and bones. Now, I've always heard, like, there's a weird story with Sozeros about that lady who actually gives him the directions. I guess, like, she wasn't... I've always heard, like, different I've heard that stories. she was like, an she extra. Was an extra, and then I heard she wasn't, and... I heard she was an extra, and so she was asking the directors, the crew, and whatnot, like, are we supposed to talk or not? And nobody yeah. gave her an answer. So then she just answered, and they loved it. So they actually had to get her into the Screen Actors Guild. Yeah. So they could put it in the film, and they could pay her... The like spoken word rate, which is more than the non-spoken extra rate. That's the story yeah. Because I, I don't think she was. I don't think she was a part of SAG in the screen actors game. Yeah, her. so they had to get her in. Yeah, her. Well, like I have to imagine, like if that was the case, like they'd say, oh, "Wait, stop, cut, hold on, no, come back, do it again, don't say a word." Like you know, right? Now, supposedly, another story that's supposed is that. This is based on a real experience that Nimoy had on a bus. Oh, he's mentioned this in the commentary. He said he was, like, walking down New York City and, like, I guess some guy had a boombox and he was just, like... The same kind of look. Invading. Actually, Nimoy said... It was a commentary with him and Shad and he was actually telling the story. Uh And Nimoy was like, 
who is this dumb idiot just invading a He's like, if I was Spock, I'd pinch, if I was Spock, I'd pinch his brains out. <laughs> that guy, Kirk Thatcher, is the one who actually wrote the song that you're hearing. Right. And, and I guess, like, all you hear is that's all he wrote. It's not like a full song. It's just everything you hear on the radio, that's all, that's all he wrote. Right. Multi-talented. Also worked for ILM, the effects uh, creature shop, so. He actually worked on, remember that show, remember that show Dinosaurs? Yeah, he okay. He worked on that, yeah. Wow. Um, I think on the expanded soundtrack, that song is included. It's like a minute long. Wow. Yeah. So they're going, they're actually, they're actually heading toward where Starfleet is located. On the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, obviously it's not there in this time. And here comes the profanity. Although in although first contact, no, generations is the first time you actually hear somebody say shit. Data says shit, mm. and Data gave Star Trek its first PG thirteen rating by snapping a Borg's neck. Mm. It, the strange thing, though, is that in my short time in San Francisco, mm. I find that it they're almost treated, acting as if it's a New York type place where you have to yell and you have to swear mm. and all that. But I found it to be one of the most calm and um non-aggressive cities so well, i wonder if this is actually true. i think this um is actually in monterey like this aquarium is not in san francisco this is the monterey bay aquarium It'll make a lot of sense <laughs> which is like an hour north of like monterey is not close right it's like north right not sure but i know that um well See those thing. cameras on the left? I was wondering if those were like production cameras. See them right there? I think it's supposed to be still. You think so? A store? Where they sell cameras at the, the aquarium? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you want to take a picture of a whale, you're going to need a camera. <laughs> I, I, all right, fine, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think Monterey is north of the city. Yeah. It's a really like nice. It's like a rich neighborhood. Right? Oh, Monterey! Yes, yeah, so Monterey actually is right over the Golden Gate Bridge, on the other, right on the other side. That's yeah. where Monterey is, and it is. Yes, this is uh, what's her face? What the hell's the name of that? Catherine Hicks, who was uh, went on to play in uh, Seventh Heaven. I think she's in one of. The, I think she's also the mom in the Child's Play movies. Oh, which I've not really watched. Being such a big horror fan. I think, I mean, the message in this movie is still pretty relevant, I think. It's not, you know, because people still do this. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But whaling is not not banned everywhere, but, like, it is banned in some places. And yeah, and, and just like this, there are... And she said, you know, people that do it illegally, and there are also some countries that won't follow that because it's part of their yeah. sort of culture. I know Japan is one. And well, some people like live off of it, right? Like Certain they, native yeah. um, peoples, indigenous peoples, mm. uh, are exempt. So I think in uh, the northern uh, Canada, I think they may be exempt from it. Mm. Like you see the city back there. Like I don't think that's digital. I don't think it actually is that. Now, this right here, I know, is on the Paramount lot. They actually built this section. Yeah, and they better. Yeah. That's a non-real. Of course. 
Well, I think this was the tank that they eventually used for the end of the movie. That makes sense. Yeah. Actually, so at the company I used to work at before where um, I worked with somebody, she was actually a production assistant on Family Ties. Okay. Which filmed on the Paramount Lux. It was a Paramount production. And um, this tank was in the parking lot. They discovered it in the parking lot, and they dug it up, and they filled it with water. And what do you mean she, they discovered it? There was there was a tank they that they used to use on Paramount ages ago to like, oh, when they, they filmed filled like, it in the parking yeah. lot. So she actually said to me when we were working on something, she was like, because I asked her, I'm like, you know, when you worked at on Family Ties, I said that to, on Paramount, I'm like, to me, that's like sacred ground because I'm such a big Star Trek fan. And she's like, she's like, yeah, she goes. And she's not a, she was not a big Trek fan. She really didn't know anything about it. But she was like, she goes, yeah, she goes, I do remember like one day she was like, we had got these like parking slips to say like, you know, you can't park here on this day because we're doing, it turned out it was when they were filming this. Oh, wow. They had to relocate like half of the, everybody's parking spaces for them right. to, uh, to do this. She's like, they took up so much space on that lot. She's like, it was ridiculous. I'm like, did you ever see them? She goes, yeah. She goes, yeah, I saw them all the time. Hmm. But she's like, I'm not a fan, so like, I didn't really think much of it. Family Ties, I believe, is on. <laughs> this is a fantastic Family scene. Ties, I believe, is on the CBS All Access side, by the way. Oh, Next joy. Week, taxi. Oh, Taxi. Oh, fantastic. Mind meld. Mind melding with a whale. <laughs> I love how, like, she hasn't even noticed it yet. Right, right. Well, she's looking at the crowd. She's talking. Right. But even, like, the people, like, look, there's a guy swimming there. Like, you're, you were all staring at the tank. <laughs> um, she goes, what the hell? And she says it right in front of a nun. I, I, I would imagine that this is the type of thing that would happen at a SeaWorld. Yeah. Do these parks still exist? What? SeaWorld? Yes. I think so. Okay. Random question to ask. Well, I mean, I remember them in the 80s, and I went to them in the 80s, and, but whatnot. But I've been I wasn't like, sure. I've been to, like, one of them. You know, circuses are gone now. In the late you know, 90s. to treat animals. I imagine this will go that way one day. I've been to, like, one SeaWorld in the late 90s. I think I think I went to one in San Diego. Can't even, he can't even swear right. That's what I love about it. They are not the hell your whales. Right. <laughs> he just adds the hell to all of this. Is that Alcatraz? No. No, no, no. Alcatraz no. is to the right. Um, and so across the way, that's where, that's where stuff the headquarters would be, I think, right? Yeah. But so what is that over there? Do you know what that is? So that's over where the scene from um, what's that what is that building I don't remember but but Uh, Vertigo there's these stairs that go down into the water over there and that's where the Vertigo scene was shot I forget what it was um, yeah I always wondered that was Alcatraz but I I no no Alcatraz is look you might see it here is that it way up there that might be it oh that's gotta be it yeah yeah I think that's it Alcatraz got destroyed in Into Darkness 
when the uh, USS Vengeance came crashing down and hit Alcatraz Island. Oh, right. So I always thought it was kind of cool. I guess the fact that if they had the Enterprise, this would have been too easy because they would have just gone down and they would have beamed them aboard with a bunch of water into somewhere and then they would have left. Well, they could have done them on the Klingon ship, but they had to. They've got to. I mean, they've got to build the tank. Scotty has to get the tank built. Oh, right. Yeah. But I think, like, on the. There probably would have been some snafu with a transporter that would have forced them to. The transporters only work when the when the plot requires That's them to. True. UHF signals seem to. They be work or don't our... work based on what the plot requires for them to do. Yes. Now this is the aircraft carrier Enterprise, which is actually the USS Ranger. The Enterprise, I guess, was out at sea at the yes, time. Yes, it was off. Nice touch, though. Yeah. Now, also for anyone that might be younger, here we are in the 1980s. Is, uh, we go, oh, I don't know if we can call it the height of the Cold War, but certainly when Tensions were very high. President Reagan had been in office for a few years. We were very much in the arms race of the U.S. building up its military and the Soviet Union trying to match. And so the the humor here is someone with a clearly Russian accent. Uh, well, even like earlier when he's asking the cop, where are the nuclear vessels? Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's. <clears throat> I have to imagine, though, at this point in history, like relations must have been thawing somewhat. You had Gorbachev in office already, right? Right. I mean, they were certainly talking, but... yeah. The threat seemed less imminent, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. But Not you still to... wouldn't want to tell a random oh, of course. person where the nuclear vessels were. I think you just said very nonchalantly where the nuclear vessels were. <laughs> oh, that's how I always say it in life whenever it comes up, hmm. which it doesn't often. <laughs> LDS. LDS. Latter-day Saints? The Church of Latter-day Saints? It's funny, so like, not to get, not to stray too far for a second, but it reminded me of this. Because he means LSD. Right. Right? Yes. (laughs) Around uh, Christmas time, I was talking to my, uh, I was visiting my parents, and my dad got these new Christmas lights. (laughs) see where this is going. He's like, I got these new LSD lights. I'm like, (laughs) What? (laughs) <laughs> he means LCD is what I'm like LSD, LSD lights what? and he like had them like strung around him like hanging them up I'm like what sounds like an LSD move. LSD, LSD lights, lights? <laughs> what are you talking about <sighs> this is my dad he's very uh, he's very um not tech savvy when it comes to right, and also not someone that would have lights. LSD would lights. be associated with real LSD. Right. Well, sometimes I wonder. This is one of my favorite moments in the movie, too. 
there, there are two things. It's when Spock kind of blatantly says that Grace is pregnant and she slams on the brakes. It's such perfect Nicholas Meyer writing, too. Hmm. No man. Oh, dipshit. So maybe no, I'd be wrong. Data did not say shit about Spock. Did. No, or dipshit. Kirk did. <laughs> He's pregnant. Did he? He's ever seen no bullshit. What is it about this movie that you like the most? I mean, you say it's you also say it's your favorite Trek film, and mm-hmm. I actually didn't know that until recently. But huh? um, I would have figured I would have figured you was a Wrath of Khan guy, as yeah, most no, no. as most Trekkies are. What is it about this one that you like um, so much? I like the tone of it. I like how fun it is. I like that it has that feel of an original episode. Original series episode, but mm. brought up to the eighties. Yeah. Would you say it's a very accessible movie to very somebody so. who's not? Yeah, very much so. Oh, the Italian exchange. Yeah, like I, I'd seen stories about how Paramount was so pleased with the script, at the very least, that they said that um, even if this, we would still make this, even if it wasn't a uh, Star Trek movie. We'd still oh, make yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. If it was just a group of... Yeah. Totally. That would definitely work. Um, yeah, and I think that that's that's why it was so successful. That's why this was the most successful uh, film Yeah. in the series. You really could just jump into it. Um, Marina Sirtis, I think, has said that, you know, when she was auditioning for... Uh, or she was in the U.S., she was about to begin auditions for uh, Next Generation. She said her friend made her go see this movie, mm. and she didn't want to go. And uh, but she said she ended up liking it a lot. She was like, "I don't want to," see. and I don't. I don't think she knew at that point that she was going to be up for a uh, yeah, yeah for yeah. a role in Star Trek. But she was like, "Oh, I was like, I don't want to go see that." Right. Scott, I love this look. Scott, he's like too into it. <laughs> McCoy's just like, stop. Do you think they got to pick their outfits? I mean, they had these outfits in the last movie. Yeah. Um, I know that Walter Koenig like specifically suggested a change. I think he was wearing like a peachy pink outfit in the last movie. And he was like, can we... So he suddenly winds up with like this, this big brown leather suit that he's got on. Yeah, that's got to be better. He's got a lot of pockets and flaps on the front of that. He does. Perfect place to hide all the cigarettes. Fly. Did you notice the fly on his bracelet? I, I did not notice the fly, actually, but thank you. <laughs> Check it out. It's covered uh, it up.
So no worries about changing the past for this group. Well, I mean, Scotty makes a good point. But he made the guy a millionaire, probably. Right, and also probably changed the course of history. Well, Scotty does say, how do we know he didn't invent it? It's like, somebody had to invent it, so why not, you know. Right, it's the classic, but how could he invent it and he didn't invent it? I don't know. Well, the thing is, it's like, when was it invented? You know, are they inventing it like a hundred years too early? (laughs) Right, that's what the problem is. Yeah. I love this. He's, uh... Oh, this is... I, I love the idea that like, he's a brilliant guy, but doesn't know how to use a computer. <laughs> doesn't know how to use a computer. Right. It's funny, too, because they've always had voice right. interactive um, and what's, what, computers. What's even makes, what makes it more great is that he's trying to use a voice activation computer, and he's using an Apple computer. He's using a Mac. Right. He's using a Macintosh Plus. Actually. But he adjusts to my uncle had one. My uncle had one of these. He adjusts to the windows of it uh, pretty... Quickly, my, my uh, that's elementary original, school uh, had these. It's, an, it's one of the. Uh, it's not an original Mac. It's the Plus. But would you say you you what? My elementary school had these. I've used them before. You did figure it out quite quickly. What does that mean? The dreams of avarice. Um, avarice. What is that? Is um, so. Avarice is the. It describes the state of being, like like hubris. So if, if you have avarice, it mm-hmm. means you like you want everything more, more, more. I see. That's my imperfect understanding. Well, he does say it'll take years to figure out the dynamics of this matrix. So, it's not like he's going to invent it tomorrow. Right. Just hope his computer doesn't crash. So, I remember being a little kid, right? Watching the original series and then watching these movies. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I always thought that Kirk and Scotty were played by different actors. By the time they got to the movies, because to me they didn't look the oh, same. Oh, because they, had... you know, oh, Kirk too. Yeah, I think it's because he had. Do- <laughs> I think it's because he had darker hair. And they're and both ones who gained the most weight. Too. Kirk had darker sure, hair. That didn't and, help. You know, Scotty had had the mustache and everything, and I think it was the mustache mostly that that threw me. Yeah. I actually did meet James Dewan once. Really? At a convention? Yeah. My, I don't know what year it was. I think I was like three years old. It's probably like, I don't know, 89, maybe. Um, my parents took me to a convention. And, you know, nobody in my family is a Star Trek fan, so they... Good parents. So, so, right? Um, so they took me. And um, I even being like three years old, I knew that he was just an actor playing... I knew that Scotty wasn't a real. Wait, how person. old were you? I think I was like three. Three? Three or four. Wow. And I and I knew that Scotty that this is just a guy. You were already I, into it of three. Yeah. Oh, I I'll put it this way. I don't recall not being a Trek fan. Oh, okay. It's almost like I was born into it, even though I you know. Yeah. But uh 
Yeah, so I met James Doohan, and at that age, like I, I understood that this that he was just an actor playing. You were advanced for a three-year-old. I, I guess I'm impressed. So. I've got the photo of it someplace. Um, and you know, conventions back then were not like they are today. With like because you know it was you know well guarded. Don't, don't take pictures. Don't do that. Right. There's photo ops and everything. And I was like, again, I was like four. So he was sitting at a table. I went around the table to meet him and sign something. Where I was like. I must have been like three feet tall. I was really tiny. As opposed to now. <laughs> as opposed to now, right? Right. Um, and my mom... I'm sure you didn't get many four-year-olds coming to get an autograph. I remember the Trek shirt I had on, specifically. <laughs> like, I had this, you know, blue Enterprise t-shirt on. My mom took a photo of us, right? But James Dewan actually spoke to me, like, in character. Oh, yeah. You know, like he's right. called me like laddie and stuff like that, and I remember it very, very well. And I have a photo, and I have a photo somewhere—I don't know where it is—of me standing there, and he's got his arm around me, and he was a—he was a big—he was a big dude. He was a big guy. Yeah. But he was so nice, and he was so generous, and I mean, even if you're not nice to your fans, you can't be mean to like a four-year-old. Right. Yeah. You'd you know, probably the worst person. You know, even I bet uh, Shatner would have been. But like he, too. I think he even like talked to my mom briefly, like. And again, my parents, nobody in my family is a drug fan. Uh-huh. So that's one of the reasons why I used to think I was adopted. Because I'm unlike all, I'm unlike all of them. Right? But, um, yeah. And so it, it was great. I mean, I, I got a full memory of that of that moment. He was the only one of the original cast. that I mean, I met Shatner briefly once. But James Dewan was the only member of the original cast that I've, that I've actually met. Yeah. Wait, did you meet Shatner while you were four? No. Okay. I met Shatner when I was like 27. Okay, yeah. Yeah. He brushed past me to buy a, to get a turkey sandwich once. <laughs> Wait, what? He brushed past me to All right, get I know we're talking sandwich. about four, but I need to hear the story. Like, This is when the Cambridge um, convention. Right. He brushed past you to get a turkey. Did you, did you, did you get the last one? Like, were you reaching for a no, two? No, no, no. Not that at all. No, I was just... <laughs> I was just, um, you know, standing by the the food area, and he came out with this little entourage, and this they entourage brushed past, and he yeah. got the sandwich and took off. So, my closest encounter. The uh, I met Shat. I, I I mean, I actually met him at a photo op. I had gone to a convention here in town in Boston a couple of years ago, and I was with a buddy of mine at the time, and he had a he had actually purchased the Shatner photo op for himself. And I was just standing in line with him as he was waiting to go in. And I was, you know, as soon as it was, I was going to get out of line, but I was just standing in line to hang out and sort of keep him company until then. And he said to me, he's like, do you want to get in the photo? And I was like, what, seriously? And he's like, yeah, you want to get in the photo with me? And I'm just like, Wait, sure. who said that? My friend, my buddy and I. He's oh, okay. Like, he's like, you want to get in the photo? I've got it on Facebook someplace. And uh, he's like, do you want to get in the photo? And I'm just like, sure, I guess. And I like offered to pay like half of the, cost because he wouldn't he wouldn't hear of it so i'm like all right oh thanks you know it's a long line of people it was like 90 bucks i think to, for this That's, that was back when it was low much more than that now this is only like five years ago though that's the thing um and so like we go and it's a long line of people and we finally have you done like photo ops before at conventions no never i find it odd they they rush you in and out you're in there I'm for sure. like 30 seconds right sure. so uh, you know 
we get in Shatner sitting down. He's kind of doing the thing, and you don't get to shake hands or really speak to him or anything. It's just sort of like, all right, hey, it's not right. So we get in there, and you know, I guess because um, he's sitting down, and my buddy's a little short, and, I, and I'm tall. I mean, I'm not a giant. I mean, well, I guess in some ways I am a giant. You and I look the same height, right? Yeah, six two. Six so two. that's more than average, though. Yeah, certainly. But this was a problem because we when we got there, the guy who was photographing it had to like adjust because I'm tall. Yeah, and they had uh, to kind of so had a little extra. Time. So we had a little bit of extra time, and so like I didn't really say anything, and then he's like trying to adjust and this and that, and, and I'm just like, I'll tell you what, I'm like, can I just sit in his lap and we'll make it easy. Right, uh-huh. and Shatner was like, Shatner laughed at me, and he goes, "Oh, and you can tell me what you want for Christmas or something like that." And I'm like, "Ah, oh, we just kind of had a laugh, and then we just kind of, you know, left after that." But well, that's nice. You yeah. got a little something more out of him. I got something out of him, and he asked me, and he asked me, you know, what do you want for Christmas? Did you tell him? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't want to be weird. Should have said the dressage horse, and he would have been like, "Oh, you're my buddy. Come and hang out with me." I mean, look, you know, I, I've got, like I said, I've gone to conventions, I've met. Trek actors and but I don't like I've never asked them the sort of like fan e question. In fact, when I've gone, like I haven't even talked to them about Trek at all. So, and I think maybe they find that refreshing. Like I told Brent Spiner, I thought he'd be great on Curb Your Enthusiasm, and he actually said to me, he's like, "Yeah, I agree with you on that." <laughs> anyway, back to this movie. Yeah, <laughs> kind of deviate a little bit. Um. It's it's the, the only thing is right. So when we were watching six, I feel like we had a lot more to say just because this film's so good. I mean, I'm finding myself just enjoying it. One thing I do like is so it just came up in six. Also, mm. this kind of that later in these films, Shatner's or Kirk's charm. It's yep. not as as potent as it once was. No, but this is also like the only movie where Kirk like, and it, it speaks to again the more original series feel to it. But like where Kirk is sort of like, he's got the girl. Well, it was Iman in briefly, sense. yeah. But um, would he kiss her and then McCoy just kind of rolled his eyes like Jesus yeah. Christ, and then she realized, then he realized she was a shapeshifter. So. Yeah. When this Shatner is like fresh off of his uh, stint on uh, T.J. Hooker at this point. Look at how he's holding the pizza. Don't hold the pizza like that, man. It's the cheese is gonna. He's from space. He doesn't know. Still though, no gravity. The pizza never any problem. Yeah, but this is great. So he goes back on the Klingon ship, and the pizza's gone. But he's got it in his hand. <clears throat> Change my. It's so odd. Is it like Ford truck? Yeah, where's the pizza? He left it. It's gone. Did the Oh who knows? It might have been a you know. You know somebody have that little table when you first walk into your apartment? Maybe you put it down on that. Or you put it in the refrigerator. He's not gonna leave it out. And maybe he left it for Scotty, I don't know. I don't know. Bringing back this feelings theme. This is good. Good writing. Keeping a theme going. 
had such anxiety when I watched the scene. I had bad enough anxiety with Bach. I was afraid they were gonna get caught. Hmm. That's and and even though I've seen the movie God knows how many times, like I'm still I still get afraid they're gonna get caught. It must have been cool, though, to be like, you know, because I don't think, I, I don't know if these are actors or not. But I certainly would assume so. This must have been cool to, like, be stationed aboard the actual, you know, ship and then to have uh, the Star Trek crew come and shoot on there for, like, you know, maybe a day or something like that and, like, have the actual military involved in, like, a movie production. Hmm. I did once work in a high school where um, Brendan Fraser, it's a Brendan Fraser film, was used our, our high school as their sort of home base when they were filming. Oh, really? Yes. And which, it's, one, which one was that? Um, the one where he's in the woods and he has to fight squirrels. I'm... Brooke Shields is also in it. Okay, yeah, I missed that one. Anyway, they keep the, the normies uh, away from the... <laughs> Cast the crew. normies. Yeah, I love how Scotty's whispering. Like, <laughs> stand by. Yeah, he's got a fucking leather suit on, leather pants too. Just beat him out. Like. <laughs> He's got the black turtleneck on from the Starfleet uniforms, though. Even though there's no black turtleneck that I know of. Underneath. <laughs> I love this scene. So every time, again, this goes back to being a kid. Every time Chekhov would say his full name, Pavel Chekhov, mm-hmm. the way he said it, I always thought his first name was Bubble. I'm Bubble Chekhov, and I'm like, what Bubble? It's great. I love. <laughs> I love how the little idioms that we're so used to. Let's take it from the top. They just don't get them. Right. <laughs> right for humor. Yeah, all the fish are. Well, you have stuff. to. I, I have to wonder, like. You know, the word fuck transcends, like, centuries. And yet, idioms like this just don't make it into the 23rd century. Like, Tilly can say this is so fucking cool. And yet, Chekhov doesn't know what the top, take it from the top means. Right. That's interesting. I didn't know. They just called, they said, well, he's a retard or something. Yeah. Hmm. We wouldn't see that in the film, though. No. Now, this is obviously, like, real military exercises, probably. That yeah, definitely have, is a real to be like, Well, like, I'm talking like this, you know? Right. Like, how they handle it. Uh, well, I know, so if you're using material. real military equipment, the yeah. military has to sign off on how you how the military is portrayed. Yeah. 
they must have approved, unless this was some privately owned. Um, I'm sure they had to like do something. Like this has got this. I mean, this has to be. These can't be actors. There's a lot. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, this has to be the actual crew, and I'm doing like a. And you know, like I have to wonder about this. Like they're doing this for real. Like this is like probably like a real a drill, mm. right? So it's nothing to them. And it's like, does Nimoy have to say, "All right, guys, we got to do it again"? Right. Right. Well, I want, no, don't do it like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, they've got to be more directing of this than Nimoy is. Yeah, because they're all hitting the ground like that. I'm sure to make it so that if they have to shoot, they can oh, shoot yeah, like, yeah. with a clear shot. Yeah, I would have never occurred to me. Being a non-military, yeah, I'm sure. Ne- like, I have to believe that Nimoy's direction in this scene was, and that scene was pretty minimal. Mm. But one thing to note, just overall, Nimoy's direction in this is, as I said, it's pitch perfect. Oh, totally. So interesting fact. So when this movie came out, um, the number one movie at the time was Crocodile Dundee. This movie knocked it out of first place. That's. A badge of honor for this film. Well, this, you know, I looked on I looked on Box Office Mojo with this movie once to see where see where you know to see the breakdown of how it was doing weekly after it came out, and this this stayed you know up there for quite a while. Like even like well into February, it was like you know it was up there, which I thought was incredible. It came out when November of eighty six. Wow! It dropped off for a little bit, but then it, but then because you know movies come out and they usually go down. This came out, it went down, then it like it went, went ba- it went back up again. Right, no yeah. word of mouth. Oh yeah. Like yeah. I said, it was released and they expected it would do similar to the other Trek films. And there's like on YouTube there's actually a video of this movie's premiere from Entertainment Weekly or Entertainment Tonight, and they're talking to people like seeing it and like sold out like immediately. Mm. And it's interesting, like the news reporter at the time, I think it's like John Tesh's name might have been, I think. Oh yeah. And he's like, um, Oh, not Sean. Oh, he was on it, but not, he didn't say this. But the guy who was like actually on the scene, you know, talking to everybody. He, I think his actual line was like, "Oh, and with sold out crowds and lines all around the block, a Star Trek Five might not be too far away." <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. But the the Star Trek Five Trek films generally came out every two years. Trek Star Trek Five came out about three years after this. I just love that. So so. Uh, not this one, but before that, when you saw the when you saw it against the skyline, it was actually a small remote control helicopter. Oh, well, yeah. well done, well done. Because you have no point of reference, so you can't tell how big it is. Yeah, how big or small it is. Dodge? It's a Dodge, right? Is it the Dodge logo? Chevrolet. No, this is Chevy logo. Yeah. Some people that know mm-hmm. Kevin doesn't have a car. He doesn't drive. So I can, but I can. I have a license. Right, I can his drive, license. Yeah. Think about it. I'm actually thinking about getting one for that one. Getting a car. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Kevin doesn't. Thank you for revealing to the audience. That well, I I'm covering for you so you wouldn't know what a Chevy logo was. <laughs> Doink. Not bad acting, though. It looks like she really did hit something. Yeah. A mime. Not a lot of people must use this park for them to not have been discovered by this point. You know, frisbee players or something. Oh, yeah. 
That's the thing. Like nobody's. They're lucky nobody's in there. I have to wonder, sort of, the impact that this movie had on the franchise. You know, aside from, um, you know, it leading to next generation, like. Like, I wonder, like, up to this point, if Paramount considered the franchise profitable. I mean, I'm sure, I think it was profitable, but, like, you know, was it... Did this movie sort of, like, solidify it as, like, no, this is, like, a high-profile like high franchise we've I got think, now, you know? I think if it were not for this film yeah. being as successful as it was, the future of Trek would have been different. I, I think, you know, and Wrath of Khan kind of did that, too, right? Because I think when the first movie came out, they kind of thought... Right. You know. Yeah, Wrath of Khan did that. But then 3 was not nearly as successful. No. Um, and even this was I think far three more made, successful I think, too. I think 3 did better financially, but it the quality of it was not up to right. what Wrath of Khan was. And plus, don't forget, it was a continuation of 2, so they wanted to see what, what happened. Right. And Wrath of Khan, I mean, um, it's beloved now, but it wasn't a huge, huge success. Um, but... What was I going to say? Yeah, like, I, I think this... Oh, I know what I was going to say. So, I think, and I hate to even go down this road, but I feel like up to this point, at least with the first three, I feel like the first three Trek movies are kind of made in the shadow of the Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. You know? And... Because whether Trek fans want to admit it or not, you know, Star Wars was an influence on this becoming a film franchise, right? It wasn't the only reason, but it was sort of an influence in why and how oh, this... Oh, absolutely. You know. So, and look, you know... At the very least for the studio to buy into it. Right. And say, oh, and well, if that star thing could have done so well. Well, it's, it's them saying, you know, what do, what do we have like that? And somebody's mm. like, oh, you know, we've got Star Trek, right? Um, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind was also a factor in it, too. It's, it was pretty much proof that, you know, sci-fi can succeed without being a sort of too high concept. Um, but, you know, that being said, like, the first few Trek films, like, even though they, in my opinion, they feel like they're made within the shadow of, a, of the Star Wars movies, they're not copies of the Star Wars movies. Like, they're not doing things, they're not doing similar things that the Star Wars movies have done. No, not at all. You know what I mean? Like, Battlestar Galactica is a perfect attempt to try to cash in on Star Wars. Oh, right. The original this is Wars. not, in my opinion, these movies were never meant to sort of cash in on, or ride the coattails of Star Wars, in no. my opinion. Because and they if, weren't like... Because this existed before Star Wars did. Right. And if anything, the motion picture was a, a, a move away from that type of yeah. film. It but was like, not just fast action fantasy. It was a slower, you know, like, thoughtful sci-fi. You film. can't watch Unsuccessful, the Unsuccessful, but thoughtful. You can't watch the first three Star Trek movies and then point to it and say, oh, this is like that moment in Empire Strikes Back or this, you know, maybe the closest thing, if anything, is sort of the death of Spock. Uh, I mean, you have a trilogy of films, although in this case, I know they they were sort of not meaning to go that route. Right. But like you have the death of Spock at the end of two, which is kind of in a way similar to Luke, I am your father and continuing to three, I guess. But like even then... That yeah. I, even me saying that, I feel like that's even kind of a yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and you almost say like Obi Wan dying at the yeah. beginning was the first one, but that doesn't really work either because he didn't come back and he was the mentor. Yeah, they're totally different. I mean, they're totally different. Star Wars is the classic hero's um, hero's journey. 
you know? You oh, know? yeah, yeah. Whereas this is not that at all. I, I've, I've, I've always said that, I don't know if I've ever asked you, but, but I'll ask you now, and I feel like I know what you're going to say. Forgive me, guys, for going down this road. Do you even know, why do you think there's a rivalry between the two? Because nerds like to argue about things. I've always had the theory. I don't think there's any real. That it's simply because of the similar titles. My dad does not know the difference between them. And, like, when I was at a family Christmas party when Force Awakens came out, right? Mm -hmm. My uncle Ted, the movie had just been out for like, the movie had been out for like a week, maybe. Maybe even less than that. Christmas Eve. He gives me a. Actually, I should give it to you because I got it someplace. It's called. It was called the pre-order kit for uh, Force Awakens. Uh huh. Well, I remember this. Right? Yes. I, I think I'll give it to you because I don't want it. I never used it, and you're you being a collector, you know. But, and I met my cousin's fiance, and he's introducing me to him. He's like, "Yo, this is Kevin. He's a big Star Wars guy." I'm like, "Ah, ah, ah, ah. no, 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 <laughs> no, no." <laughs> because I mean, admittedly, they just don't know the difference. And I mean, I thought of it. A similar way, vein, like I know people who love the Law and Order shows or CSI shows. I don't know, the, I don't, I don't watch them. I don't know the fucking difference between either one of them. So I'm like, I don't know. Right? Yeah, it's just some people are just when you're not plugged into a certain yeah part of pop culture, you just don't have it. I, mean, I, I remember a time it was about 2001, and yeah. I was or 2000 maybe. I was working as a painter. Yeah, and I was in this woman's house painting. And you know, we usually would listen to music with a radio and whatnot. So I had I had a Nirvana on. Mm-hmm. And the woman said, "Oh, so, what are you listening to?" And I said, "Oh, it's so Nirvana." Two, she so said, 2000s. Oh, what is that?" Oh man! And and I just realized the gulf, the 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 pop, the cultural gulf between some people that when not even just would have never even come up that they would have heard of Nirvana. So I'm like 13 years old when Phantom Menace comes out. My dad takes me to go see it. We bought tickets over the phone. Over the phone, she could buy. I don't think you could buy them online yet. And so Movie got, phone. Yeah, that's how we did it. And so mm-hmm. we go to see it, and uh, we get into this conversation before the movie comes out. My, my dad and I don't really have anything in common. And so mm-hmm. we were talking about this movie, and we we're talking about the Star Wars coming out, and he's like, "Oh yeah." So he's like, "So they're gonna stop making uh, Star Trek?" And I'm like, "No, why would they do that?" <laughs> and I was like, "I like pshawed the thought." I'm like, "Wait, what? it's not the same thing." It's but he doesn't know. So, it's interesting. So, again, this is 1986. This is released by Paramount. <laughs> this is I great. Love, this I woman. And this poor guy. This the doctor gave the me a pill. Life. I grew a new kidney. Yeah. He probably extended her life by about 50 years. Yeah. Um, the, this is Paramount, released by Paramount in the 80s, right? So, this is obviously, you know, extremely profitable franchise at this point the other franchise that Paramount releases at this point that's very also popular Friday the 13th really? yeah Which, what were they up to at this point? uh 86 so we've already got 5 of them no 6 6 of them okay yeah interesting um yeah I mean the, Friday the 13th movies were like pocket change basically Paramount because they didn't they didn't oh. spend a lot of money making them right. like a million dollars and they'd make like twenty five so I think all those mo- all the money they made went toward movies like this yeah 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 remember when in the eighties when sequels started to get a bad rap 
it became a joke, like Jaws, Seventeen, and those kind of things. Where oh yeah, I mean, it was just they acknowledge that sequels were sort of seen as just you know cash grab. Well, they always they always have been, you know. But yeah, horror movies I think kind of you know popularized sequels and just made them you know uh, gave them sort of a bad reputation, but. You know, The Godfather Part Two had already come out at this point, and you know that's considered one of the greatest sequels of all time. Right, that's right. better than the original. But I think even the Trek films are in a very unique position in some way because almost always, I mean, how often is it that you start with a one movie, then you have sequels, and they get better and better? Generally, they usually get worse and worse. Right, right that was always the way. Star Wars Two is a change for that. Yeah, I mean, at least held the the quality. And Search for Spock is not as good as Wrath of Khan. It's not bad. Right. It's not better, but this one is better than... This one's great. You know. And it's up for debate if people... I mean, everyone kind of agrees that Wrath of Khan's the best, but I don't... I mean, I personally don't think it is. This, yeah, is, this is always my favorite. But and six is great. Three is in a very awkward position because it's, it's sandwiched between these two. Mm. And it just sort of, like, bridges that Yeah, gap. but if you treat it as a trilogy, it's, it, fits, it does its job well. Mm. You know, like when they always release like those DVD or Blu-ray compilations of movies and stuff like that. Mm. They had a, I saw it one day, like in a, in a, you know, like a five-dollar bin at Best Buy one time. It was like it's just first person. This is a very weird shot. Sorry to interrupt, but that shot was so clearly a different camera and just everything different. Yeah, you, you saw could, lens flares. You could you see the lens flare? You could see the the sort of whatever the the yeah. plastic in front of it was kind of the dirty. Plastic glass, yeah. That was very um, strange. Just filmed off an airplane. Another small misstep of Nimoy's. Um, so yeah, I go to Best Buy one day and I see like in the the, like the two dollar Blu-ray, like the six dollar Blu-ray bin, they've got this movie on one one disc, Star Trek two and Star Trek four. I'm like, wait, well, where's three? What? Yeah, it's crazy. Like, why would you, Paramount? Why would you do that? <laughs> I also think this one kind of solidified the idea of, or maybe six did. I don't know kind of solidified the idea of the of the odd numbered curse where the even ones were generally better than the other ones and this you know were always considered the best ones yeah because you, know, you had two now you had four and then you had six and you had first contact and then kind of nemesis kind of ruined that whole thing right and then it seemed like none of them could be good do you think they could remake they could do this movie again today No, like, could you see them recycle? Because you know, the, Into Darkness, they more or less did. Oh, oh like Wrath a modern Khan. version. Like, of could it? you see them modernizing this for like the next? <laughs> yeah, yeah, cast? yeah. No, I can see that. Actually, I think like I don't know how you do it. It'd be a fun challenge. It's interesting too because you know earlier in the movie when they arrive, you know McCoy's line is, "It's a miracle these people ever got out of the 20th century." I think that's even more relevant to say now. It's a miracle we ever got. We may ever get out of the twenty first century, mm. considering all the shit that's going on politically and whatnot. But right, right. I would love to see them try to do a movie like this now. I don't think it would happen, but I think and it would like, be really fun to try, or even maybe on Discovery or something. I don't know, but like try to to you know make comment on what's going on today. Yeah, what would you even? What would the cause be? That's what I can't. Oh, the whalers! Yes. Yeah, I think they're supposed to be Norwegian. I think I don't know. I don't know what language they're speaking. 
I thought I heard they were in Origin, but I could be totally wrong. You know, for I gotta say, for animatronic whales, pretty realistic. For I think, like I totally yeah. buy. I totally is that buy animatronic that. there though? No, that's the, yeah, that is animatronic. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I think that there were actually two real, two shots of real whales in the film. Oh, look at that rusty spear. It's horrible. Yeah, those are, um... Yeah, those are, uh... That's an, that's, those are well done. Those are well done. Yeah. Well, I think they have, they have those, like, natural movements, you know? Mm. And there's, I've seen them. Like, they're actually... Those models are actually, uh... They're very small. I always have a concern about this. You'll see what you'll see in a second. Did they not hear the thing come over come over them like that? Like you know, feel like a like right. a whoosh. At least a little wind. Yeah, uh, they're focused on the hunt. Well, I mean, you're out at sea, so it's windy anyway. So that's a real will. Oh yeah. I just wondered how they achieved that. I mean, it's got to be well, actually, no, it's got to be clear glass, obviously. So. Is this like a case of like Star Trek Six? We can't beam them up while cloaked. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Like, why? Why did they decloak? Actually, you know, that makes sense. I mean, they beamed them up when they were cloaked before, but if they want to, like, any ship out at sea in the distance, we're like, what the hell is that way out there? There's a line in the original series episode. Uh, tomorrow was yesterday where they beam up where they, the Enterprise is thrown back in time and, and they beam up some Air Force guy mm. and you know the Enterprise is sort of like in orbit of Earth and like in, in the upper atmosphere and Kirk has a really great line that I think could really apply to all the other Trek shows that find themselves back in this time is that Kirk's like if I remember my history in reference to, you know, in reference to if the Enterprise was ever seen by somebody at that time he was like these things were always sort of like UFOs or weather balloons. They were always sort of explained away as sort of explainable things. And if you think about it, like, if you go back to this time... Really fun line. In this, you know, 1986, and say, you know, like these guys, these fishermen, they see the Klingon bird of prey, right? But how would they be able to convince anybody... They would never be able of to. What they, of what was seen, you know, like... If you just had a picture, they wouldn't be able to convince anyone. But even now, today, with, like, these sort of, you know, with ubiquitous phones, every, everybody's a Photoshop pro now. You know, and you could make anything... Right. but there's also Photoshop do... detection pros. Yeah. Me. I could do that. But... I just kind of feel like... Going back in time at, like this... And being scene would not be a huge concern of mine because back then there'd be no way to kind of no unless you accidentally you know, uh, well so interesting it all depends will, on it all depends on how big you contaminate well it. this will bring us up to a, a a scene that was um included in the original draft but not filmed was the idea that they would decloak over a stadium where the super bowl was taking place now that is something that then you could not oh yeah have right any, right it would be because it's on like tv that. right now right yeah. so maybe that was why they were chosen. But even then, probably it just would have been hard to do. To get but even to then, like later on, mm. you consider it like a mass event like that. Like how 
you wouldn't be able to prove it, but also but you have to disprove it. Right, like well, all these people have seen, saw it. Right. Well, it's the fun thing that in the you script, know. the idea was that everyone would think it was part of the halftime show. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah, that's I like that. Except for Eddie Murphy's character, who was a UFO enthusiast, mm. which we didn't even mention the fact that this film was going to have an Eddie Murphy character. Yeah, he was like at the time he was like sort of, you know, popular. Box office like, gold. You know, I think Beverly Hills Cop had come out. The Golden Child was mm-hmm. his um stand up special, right? His what was, um, what was that movie? Uh, the other one with Dan Aykroyd, Trading Places, right? I think it was out it had to come out. Yeah. Yep. And what were we gonna say? Uh, stand up special, the the one that I wasn't allowed. Was to he rent at when this, I was a kid? This is eighty six. Was he off of Saturday Night Live? He was on. He was Cash and on for a while, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he was off at this point. Yeah, he was doing films. Was he, was, on for like, was he only on there for like one season? I, I wish you got like the amount of people have, who have once been on right, that show. Right, I know, even Elaine. She was on the season I think Larry David wrote, too. Look at fucking... Like, even... Even Chekhov left his equipment behind. Oh, yeah. Right? They never got the lighting right for the bridge of the no. Klingon ship. They have very poor lighting. So Chekhov leaving his equipment behind, right? Now, Which obviously, is this? he left like his communicator and his identification, like the stuff he had on the oh yeah, on the well, on the aircraft carrier. But like you know, that's in the government ha- government's hands, right? So that would go to Chekhov. you know the place where they put all the weird stuff, but and it would just stay in a warehouse, probably that nobody will ever see where they kept the right, a covenant from uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you know what I love about that? Or Area Fifty. You know what I love about that? I don't even know if this episode gets a good reputation, but I love it. It reminds me of the that episode of Enterprise called The Communicator. Where they remember that where they leave, they go to they visit a pre warp civilization to blend in. Oh, and yes, Lieutenant yes. Reed accidentally leaves his communicator behind, and they have mm-hmm. to go find it. But I loved the idea of that. Like you, you're contaminating the culture with technology that right. they don't have this technology. And it's such a yet. small thing that anyone could. But to me, that was like class. That. that was like classic Trek, yes. right there. And this was obviously it's not a big deal here. So, I should mention, because I was talking to you about this before we began recording. So, I don't know if it was Marvel. I think it was DC at the time. I think DC had the, DC Comics had the Trek license. Right. And they would publish comics, but they would publish comics in between the movie releases. So, but they would always have to adjust their continuity to fit or rewrite stuff every time a new movie came out because it would mess up with their continuity because they had a different continuity. Right. So after Star Trek Three came out, um, you know, the Enterprise was destroyed, Spock was back to life, but they um, they actually wrote in their continuity that Kirk and his crew get get cleared of all charges, and they're given command. He's given command of the Excelsior, and they have like a bunch of adventures on the Excelsior. So by the time this movie comes out, they now had to change up their continuity to fit with this. So like they wrote some kind of bullshit. I think to get I them back to where they were at right. the end of exactly. the last. Exactly. <laughs> so I That must be funny to read. I've got the comic somewhere somewhere. I don't know where it is. But I don't even know how many they have. But they had done something where like Spock got some kind of a virus and they ended up like violating their <laughs> everything again and they somehow got a hold of the Klingon ship again and like got everything again yeah, somehow got a hold of the Klingon ship again and like you know it was funny as hell 
and I think, and I was saying to you, like, but the Excel, whatever comic that was, the Excelsior's on the cover. Uh-huh. And I always thought, well, this is fucking stupid. The artist didn't even get the design of the Enterprise right. Like, why does it look <laughs> like... So we are now in the uh, Paramount parking lot. Yeah, in the tank. Is that, that, tank. that my uh, friend I used to work with was telling me about? Couldn't park this day. Yeah. I just wondered, like, so the Klingon ship is sinking, mm. obviously, and I just wondered, like, is that is that thing sitting at the bottom of the San Francisco Bay, like even in the twenty fourth century? By the oh, time, oh sure, they, know, they pulled it up for parks. Well, it's, well, so that kind of answers my own question. But interestingly enough, in a early draft and it's even in the the pre-production artwork for star trek 6 you actually see this klingon vessel like in a docking bay in starfleet oh that's nice they actually would have i don't know what the significance of it would have been i think it was just kind of there for sort of like a you know a little continuity yeah i forgot we've had her yeah there was a lot of speculation as to whether or not she was going to return in the next movie but in classic Trek form. Well, it was even set at a convention. The just dropped. I'd, I'd seen footage of this at a convention. So, you know, at this point, there's no internet. It's like, it's all, they call them like fanzines, right? Like magazines, right. like fan, Fangoria and like Starlog yeah, Magazine or something famous, like that. Famous uh, monsters. So information, I assume, for the you know future films was difficult to come by. Right. right? Just based off of that. And so there's a lot of speculation as to who was going to be in Star Trek Five, and, I, and there's, you know, I remember there's, there's something I saw at a convention once where there was like a guy going through a list of characters from the next, you know, who was going to appear in Star Trek Five, and her picture came up, and he's like, she's not going to be in Star Trek Five, and the audience was disappointed. Yeah. They're like, aw. Yeah, I mean, because we never really find out. I mean, we never really find out what happened to her. I mean, I know what happens to her like in the non-canon comics yes. and novels and whatnot, yeah. but. Um, it would have been nice to have some consistency with Kirk's interests because it seems like you give him a new one for a film and then you drop them. New one for a film and then you drop them. Well, also, like, you know, you... Um, you bring somebody back who's out of time. And it's like, what do you do? Like, what happened to her? Like, how do you, you know... Yeah, that could have been interesting. But I get it. They only have so much time for only doing a movie every two years. So. Yeah, but you could at least get a mention of it, right? Right. See the... You can see the, uh, the painting of the clouds on, behind them. Hmm. The backdrop. So, I don't know... I don't know the name of it. I th- I've seen it on Wikipedia, um, the Memory Alpha Wikipedia. So I guess there's like a, I don't know if it was a comic or a novel, where, where there's like a in an alternate reality of this event, George and Gracie mutate into these gigantic leviathans <laughs> and destroy like you know, the entire uh, coastline. Does the like, mutate them? And like I don't I don't even know, but like and they have to be killed. I've always wondered about that. Like, there's got to be some kind of, like, novel or comic book continuity Bible they have to, like, go by and to stay consistent with things, right? Because it's written by so many different people. Oh, if you're writing the, the yeah, if, yeah. ancillary material? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. What's cool about this to me is that 
So the wait. whale is now in the position that the probe is going to go into. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because I remember this. This is something where whales do that. Yeah. And I'm not sure if they understand it now, but I do remember reading things saying they do it, and no one's really sure why they do it. So it was also in the early drafts of this movie, like the probe, the probe's transmissions were actually going to have subtitles. I heard that. Yes, that would have been great. Um, I don't know what you're talking about here. But they're just now, I just think it's more. And I like. I sort of like the ambiguity of the whole thing. It's like I'd be curious what they're talking about, but mm-hmm. um, I like the. I I do kind of like the mystery behind it because whale songs are a mystery. We don't. We know nothing about it really. Right. What they are. So that subtitle right there just said song communication. I wonder if like the whale the they just like I love the idea of like you know whales potentially being like not an alien species but like having communication with things outside of earth yeah like, I, I like it know. a lot too i like that it's it just challenges this you know human it supremacy of the well, universe and, the and it's what i mean it, it speaks to spock's earlier line where he says you know there are many forms of intelligence on earth only mm. human arrogance would think that the uh probe is directed Mm-hmm. But man, I love that. Yeah. Be cool to see them. I like to see like the studio model of that thing. So right, it was twenty feet long. Yeah, two. One was eight feet long. One was twenty feet long. Of this? Yes. I didn't know that. Probe whale song. Yeah, we've got the uh, subtitles on. It's interesting to kind yeah, of pro whales on farewell. Farewell, whales sing reply. I wonder if the you think the whales are being mean, saying like, "All right, get the fuck out of here," or like, yeah, "We're we're okay." You don't have to worry. You're messing up our. Yeah. Or they're just like, you don't know what's going on with whales. Right. Why are you talking to us? <laughs> we just swim around. So you can see see the see the line of the between oh, yeah, the water and the. You just swim around. You plankton. Same shot earlier, just in reverse. Now, according to the novel, they would be now going to Romulan space to make mm-hmm. sure they hit whales. So I wonder I if on that, you see that like red, that circular thing going uh-huh. on? I wonder if that's where like the Klingons, where, where they are. That would make sense. That is a real whale, too. No, it's got it, yeah. Yes, (laughs) a real whale. So that must be the second shot of a real whale. That must have been, like, you know, a difficult shot to get. Like, you know, just hoping you'll see something and you see a whale breaching. It's like, wow. Right, yeah. Scotty does a fucking belly. Scotty does a belly. I've always found this scene to be so, like, I I, I kind of... (laughs) It kind of makes me cringe a little bit. Like, I don't... Yeah, it's really goofy. But, you know, they're happy to save the world. They deserve it. Well, I think it's because you never see the crew like this having, you know, a good time with a bunch of laughs, you know? Yeah, yeah. We never find out what happened with George and Gracie, though. Oh, there's an Andorian? I don't know what that is. Right. Um, Which, as I said, rewatching these films makes me feel so much better about the fact that they've always introduced aliens every new 
Felmar series. What I like about this is that this is sort of like the, you know, and rightly so, it's like the United Nations. You know, it's like the UN with all these different... Uh, mm-hmm. So like I was saying earlier, so we don't... Earlier the president says nine violations. He does not name nine violations here. Okay, some of them just repeated them twice. It's funny. Do they even know that Spock died? <laughs> you know, like, does anybody back Earth know what happened? File a claim with the yeah. Starfleet Health Insurance. <laughs> like, it all, like it all happened out there, and they weren't even like, like, how much is Starfleet aware of what happened? Right? You know, I do think for a while. And maybe I'm wrong. But I do think that this, there was speculation as to whether or not this was going to be the last movie. Because if you really, if you really go and look at the, like all the original series films, in spite of the endings, like, those, any one of those. Wait, was that her? What? Was that the scientist? Yeah, she's back with her. Any one of these movies could be the last one, could be the last one. They have endings, yeah, that feel sort of final. Right. Not like, yeah, there's some threads you could pick up, but, like, not you don't necessarily have to. Yeah, obviously not two. Yeah. Three, I mean... Right. This three could really have ended good. like Six that. Six is really good. Six is sort of the real end, except they yeah. ruined that with um, Generations. But the other thing about this that I love, you know, it's an underlying thread throughout all of them, is Kirk kind of comes full circle. Because... Hmm. Well, Wilson Dolly. Kirk kind of comes full circle because if you remember in the Wrath of Khan, he's an admiral, and he doesn't—he misses being in command. Right. And Spock even says him, "It wasn't—if I may be so bold—it was a mistake for you to accept promotion." I don't know what the hell those things. Those are great. Um, yeah. So and McCoy even says to him, "Is what he wants." Right. And McCoy even says to him at one point, "Get back your command and get it back before you turn into part of this collection." So, by the time we get here. He gets his command back, albeit, you know, by violating orders and whatnot, but he gets his command back. Right. Oh, there's a cat person. Yeah. Like in the animated series. Admiral Cartwright, who will eventually betray Starfleet. Starfleet Do you know if that's the same species as the animated series? Oh, I don't know. Maybe they had a cat face. She was orange. I I gotta think of the... I gotta think of Jillian Taylor, the scientist, like, coming back going, like, what the hell are... What the hell is... Yeah. Here's a purple jumpsuit. Just go with the flow. (laughs) But, like, just seeing all these alien species, like, where the hell am I? Like, right. this is so frightening. She has, she has differently feathered hair and an orange jumpsuit. So she's, she's she adjusted. I don't have your landline number. Have your landline. It's a landline. Nice, good move, lady. You made the right choice. Yeah. Stay away from that guy. I've always loved this scene a lot between Sarek and Spock. I like most scenes between Sarek and Spock. A little Spaceballs vibe to those guards behind them. Yeah. 
Return to Vulcan within the hour to go check up on your sister. <laughs> so, I mean, not a lot of tie-in, really any, with Discovery. I mean, Sarek, obviously, but, like, mm-hmm. you know, not really anything that can be interpreted as being a sort of, you know, Discovery, any Discovery connections. Right, yeah, except for Sarek. And swearing. Breaking ground in uh, Star Trek cursing. Yeah. Although, if we do a commentary for Star Trek 3, I think, I mean, Discovery is in that movie. Interesting. I will leave it at that. Okay, we'll, we'll put that. I'll say only. Well, point of discussion. I, when I say Discovery is in the movie, Discovery is in quotes. Okay. It was like this set too. We never see that this. Really cool set. We never see this set again. But I just I like it a lot. This movie, you know, has a lot of interesting and unique sets that we've uh, built for this. Yeah. You know? So this also would be probably that's probably Michael Okuda's work, right? Well, he was more the graphics guy. Really? He wasn't the production designer. Yeah. Oh, okay. So um, this, of course, is a uh, one of my favorite moments in all of Trek coming up. McCoy's line there, the bureaucratic mentality is the only constant there. So I guess got a huge laugh when this movie played in uh, the Soviet Union. There's certainly no bureaucracy in the Soviet Union. Yeah. There's the uh, Excelsior, which Sulu will eventually command. Yep. This always, yeah, I always love this moment. So interesting, as we are recording this on St. Patrick's Day, um, this scene you're about to see, them on the bridge, actually I love this bridge by the way, all the graphics are green, because this was filmed on St. Patrick's Day 1986. This was a secret ending. And I love that bridge. That is the same bridge design as previous movies, and I love that it's like all brand new and silvery and everything, but that's not the bridge that we see in Star Trek V or VI. Right. Which, again, speaks to my whole idea of, like, why people are upset about the redesign of the Enterprise. Do we see that the bridge anywhere else, though? That particular one? I mean, that's the same exact set from the previous oh, movies. Oh, cleaned it up. Yeah. Um, that is, I just noticed, that is the font for, the, that is the font used in all of John Carpenter's movies. That is the font they use hmm. in the beginning of the thing and Prince of Darkness. This is a very weird sitcom credit ending. Yeah, they never show, uh... Stills. This is the first time they've ever, they've ever done this in a... Um, but... Um, yeah, I love the reveal of the Enterprise A, and from my understanding, that got a huge response in the in the uh, theater from the audience when that. Uh, oh, I bet yeah. Reveal. And you know, to this movie's credit, and even previous one, um, Star Trek Three, they, I kind of feel like this movie. And the one before it, it kind of, out, it kind of, um, that's what I'm looking for. No, it doesn't outdo. It kind of, oh, it, it undoes everything established in the previous movies. 
Spock comes back to life. The Enterprise comes back to life. Mm. You know, so that by the time you get to this one, everything's back to the way it was. Right. It's a reset. Yeah, it's a reset. Which, as you said, would have been a good place to end also. Yeah. But in early, I've seen... It's actually, you can find it on uh, the Memory Alpha. So, two early versions of this movie titled... One of them was called Star Trek IV, The Trial of James T. Kirk. And I guess Harry Mudd was going to make an appearance. Wow. And another one was called... Um, I don't know how far I got with it. It was called per- Star Trek IV, Pursuit of the Renegades. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, them probably? Them probably, yeah. Huh. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what those early versions of this movie would have been right well they definitely um they made the right choice those both sound like they would not have been as had the wide appeal that this one did that's your light magic Mm -hmm. but um what what i don't like i mean among the many things about what they don't what i don't like what they do in the next movie is that the enterprise in the next movie is sort of like the butt of all their jokes because you know, at this one, it ends with them going off into space, Kirk saying, let's see what she's got. And by the time you get to the next movie, the ship's not working. Mm. You know, triple up doors on your open. Scotty says... It's brand new. Scotty <laughs> says, let's see what she's got, said the captain. I, look at this, I love this bridge. He says, uh, let's see what she's got, said the captain. And then we found out, didn't we? Like, I'm like, yeah. okay, well, what happened after you... What... what what happened after that ship went into right, war? Did they, did did they like... Was it one of those... They well... <laughs> they build them like they used to kind of things? That's actually, oddly enough, another area of debate. Like, was that a brand new Enterprise? Well, they just refit it and called it that? Or, yeah, what, the, one of the explanations in... in remember, do you remember that book, Mr. Scott's Guide to the Enterprise? Did you ever see that? It's like a technical manual? No. It's a, it's a great book. Released around the time this, this uh, came out. We're going to be talking post-credits, by the way, guys. Um, although, briefly... It was stated that this that that ship was actually the new Enterprise was actually the USS Tiho 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 T H T I dash H O Tiho okay um, and was renamed Enterprise for that for them okay right but I'm thinking so you throw an entire crew off and give that give you know it's just the um, you throw the entire crew off and reassign them. <laughs> the other theory, and this kind of, I guess, and this just kind of plays into why the ship doesn't fucking work in the next movie, is early on in the movie, this movie, they're talking to, uh, when they see that captain on the screen, a Soviet was stranded, he's calling from the USS Yorktown. His ship is disabled from the probe. They think, oh, the Yorktown's a Constitution-class vessel that they just refit and named it Enterprise, and the reason why it's not working is it's still suffering from the effects of the probe Wow. And I'm like... That it's... sort of takes away from that moment. Where right. Like, we have a new ship for you. It's the Enterprise. And it's old and it's actually really crappy. We repainted it, essentially. But at the same time, I'm we like... But but at the same time, like, you know, guys, it's a fucking movie. But it also kind of plays in, and I mentioned this when we did the, uh, when we did the um, Star Trek Six commentary, that that Enterprise didn't seem like it was in service for very long before it was decommissioned. Mm. So maybe it was an older ship. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, you never saw any... The Enterprise is a Constitution-class vessel. After Star Trek VI, you never saw Constitution-class vessels again in any of the shows. So it's like, are they retiring the Enterprise or are they retiring the whole class 
or is the Enterprise the last of its class? You know? Yeah. Well, I think that, that points to one of the problems when you have inconsistent writers in a franchise and you don't have one kind of uh, at least person overseeing the whole thing. Right. When you wind up getting these just vastly different takes and things changing. I think that's a lesson that's been learned by modern filmmakers and, yeah. and studios is that you need to have someone that's going to oversee the whole franchise. Well, I've noticed now, like with a lot of movies that come out, they just kind of, there's like a rise of this whole idea of like called selective sequels, where they just kind of disregard everything or they just, they ignore it. Like continuity is now like ignored. I've noticed because it makes, because it makes making, it, it limits you to do, to do things. Yeah. Well, one thing I think, though, with that is that's often when they're almost making up for a mistake. Yeah. Like, they gave a franchise to a different director who changed a lot, and then the original right. director comes back. I'm thinking of um, Alien. Uh-huh. And then, so they kind of will disregard the one that wasn't made by the original. The Halloween movies are doing are doing just that. Yeah. The new one coming out. They're just ignoring everything. To the point where Jamie Lee Curtis isn't even Michael Myers' sister anymore. That's good. Yeah. Well, because it complicates things. You know? And I guess, like, even when Star Trek Beyond came out, even though there's no direct reference to Into Darkness, but I guess it was written to... as if Into Darkness never actually happened. Oh, uh, okay. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... But that's... you don't have to necessarily reference everything from before, I mean... Right. But, you know, even Star Wars, that's known for its continuity, supposedly. Mm. Um... You know, there are moments, um, there's one in particular when they were making the Clone Wars series and um, George Lucas came to the writers and said, okay, so Anakin has a Padawan named Ahsoka and all the writers were like, but Anakin doesn't have a Padawan. And Lucas is like, uh, okay, so Anakin has a Padawan. <laughs> he, he does now. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, just because something isn't referenced doesn't mean that it's being disregarded. You know, you don't have to make reference to everything that came before to kind of... I mean, it's nice for consistency's sake, but, like... I'm like, yeah, I know that the, I know that this happened. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's always fun with these type of films is to watch them in order and, you know, follow right. the story through. And when right. it doesn't match, it, it kind of... Yeah, I mean, this one... Takes away from it. Well, and this is a direct sequel. I mean, they don't put... That I've noticed anyway. They don't really, not as often as they used to, when they put a number in sequels now. No, no. You know, this is specifically Star Trek Four, Star Trek Five. Like yeah. even by the time you got to the next generation movies, they, they dropped that completely. Right. Um, Fans still kept it for Star Trek and you know, I mean, referring to the weather number. Yeah, I mean. They, they, we, they, mean, they, they refer to it by its number before a title's announced, and then by the time the title's yeah. announced, you know. So, what are we at now? Star Trek, Jesus Christ, Star Trek 14? It's impressive. Yeah. I mean, other than maybe Marvel films, there was not a lot of 14 films. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, Iron Man. Iron Man's the only one out of all those Marvel films that actually has a number in there, isn't it? That's true, yeah. I never, I never thought of that. Well, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, and Iron Man 3. Yeah, the other ones don't do that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and, you know, with Star Trek, and the interesting thing is with Star Trek being Star Trek 14, if you can, it's also the fourth, it would also be the fourth movie with that cast. 
Mm. So, which is that is that happening, or we don't know anything? Yet? Tarantino's attached, apparently. But for that, for that, I don't I, think that's for that. No, for no, he's attached. Oh right, yeah, to for the next movie. movie. Yeah. So no more of the other crew, huh? Oh, we don't know. Yeah. We don't, we don't know what he's doing. Um, I think that Tarantino one will actually happen. It sounds insane. From what I understand, you know, he said he would only do it if it could have an R rating. So it's like, what are we getting? Are we <laughs> it's getting like a parody? It's like, what are we getting? Are we getting like you know Star Trek: The Magnificent Seven here? Like, it sort of sounds like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Tarantino, oh, Star Trek, and yeah. then you just have a sorry, not Star Trek: The Magnificent Seven, Star Trek: uh, The ha- Star Trek: Hateful Eight. I'm sorry. Um, oh yeah, you're Adam Sandler. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I would say I, I, I've I've heard him say he was on the Nerdist podcast one time. I think talking about wanting to do Star Trek a long time ago and I, th- I remember him specifically stating that he thought that the Next Generation episode Yesterday's Enterprise could have been a movie. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, he's got But does this mean he's going to do that? No, but he says hey, he knows his stuff. He has good taste and I mean, I, I, I can't really say that I've been a, I'm a huge Tarantino fan. I'm, no, I, mean, I haven't, you know, but I don't, his name is not a, doesn't draw me in. Right. It does me to be just because of the oddity of having him. Yeah. Create a Star Trek film. Yeah, I don't associate Tarantino with Star Trek, and that's just very odd to me. Which is why I would want to go just to see what that would be all about. I mean, what's we saw Star Trek Beyond when it came out, and I think arguably it's the best one of those three. And it's like, oh yeah, obviously Simon Pegg and Doug Young, who wrote it. Mm-hmm. Did a great job, and Justin Lin did a great job directing it. Why not use them again? Because you know how it is now. If a yeah. if a film like that doesn't make a billion dollars, well, at the same time though, like that was also released in an extremely crowded summer. Yeah, right. Well, they're all crowded now. True, but if you if you think back to when that came out, you had uh, Suicide Squad had just come out. I think it was coming out the next week or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters was out. Independence Day Resurgence was out. But these were like... No, there was... What the fuck was... There was some Disney movie that came out. Finding Dory was out. Okay. Which killed... Which actually, which actually killed Independence Day when that came out. So... Oh, I think it was... Finding Dory killed Independence Day. I don't know. It's, Disney movies are pretty... Uh, pretty good at doing that kind of stuff. Um, somebody had pointed out that if that movie had come out like on the 50th anniversary, which was like September... Uh, would have been September of that year. It would have done a lot better, and there would have been less competition. It would have made a lot more sense. Yeah, I yeah, I think it was just a little bit before the studio started to realize that you could put out these big films pretty much any time and they right. have enough of a following. Well, that, it doesn't and, matter. And that movie had an extremely troubled production too for the longest time. Okay, right. So like, it, I think it, it didn't turn out a profit because they also invested a lot of money into it too to kind of fix I see. the shit that was going yeah. on. You know. So, um, it's unfortunate. I mean, despite, despite all of that, I thought it was the best one out of all of those. Oh, absolutely. You know, and felt like the most Trek out of all of them, strangely enough. Definitely. Um, but does he, it was critically acclaimed, but I mean, they were all critically acclaimed. All of them are. All. There's a difference between critically acclaimed and fan acclaimed. Wait, but, oh, okay. You know, when I say all of them, I mean all of the Abrams era. Yeah, really? Oh, yeah. No, Into Darkness was. Oh, yeah, it was. Hmm. Fans hated it, but I've grown to appreciate it a little bit more over, over time. But, um, but 
we have definitely gone over our time. Yes. So let's wrap this one up. Um, Hope you all enjoyed. Contact us. For any reason, we just want to hang yeah, out. Yeah, any That's reason, tech, contact us. Let yeah. us know what's going on in your life. If um, anybody made it this far, we're impressed. The uh, really quickly, the you saw the new Discovery comic today. I did. Which you grabbed for me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, it's not the newest. It's the second newest. The second, well, the second newest. And, There's been two and, more out. In this, wait, are they all out now? There's still no. There's three out. Right. So we have it's in the IDW Klingon. Uh, series, which we should maybe look at. The Light of Kales. Kales, not Kales. God, are you even a fan? Kales. I'm a fan, but I'm not a Darth, Dark, yeah, like Dark Vader. Um, so, I, we're going to take a look at that and maybe speak more to it at some point. Yep. Um, and, you know, Small production note, uh, for those who don't know, Discovery resumes filming next month. Finally. For season two. Um, and I think they're looking right now for it to be back probably January. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer. Open November. I mean, nothing's been officially announced yet. I, I'd imagine, what are we in, March now? We're not going to know anything concrete until Comic-Con, probably. And I bet you we'll even get a trailer at that point. Right. Maybe something. Because they'll, they'll have already filmed a little bit. Yeah. So, um, I think, uh, we, it's worth doing another episode on Discovery just to kind of, I think we should go down a list of season two, season two, uh, a season two, come, come up with a season two wish list. Ah, okay. Of what we want to see. Yes, that'd be a good place. So, Container speculation. Um, I read an interesting article, you'll love this, and I'm, I'll, we'll wrap this up really quickly, that speculates on who the next captain could be. Okay. Then that one of them, one of them was... So one of them mentioned to Paul. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> but they're like they're like probably not, but it still yeah. it would be great. So um, I'm still hoping for a guest appearance by her. That would be a very good way to do it. Yeah. Or Shran. Give me an I'll, I'll okay with Shran. Shran be doing a Vulcan. Yeah. And Dorian Vulcan relations are great now, so maybe you know, yeah. they're the founding members of the Federation, so maybe everybody's Anyway, alright. Uh, tweet us, Disco Podcast. Tweet us at Disco Podcast. Email us at discoverywetrust at gmail.com. And uh, thanks for listening. Live long and uh, maybe prosper, I guess. Save the whales. Save the whales. <laughs>